When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That's C O R R Y. J-O-E-L. You can also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agent's Take, on NFL salary cap and contract matters. We're going to look at a couple of things this week. One, some of the uh, new contract extensions uh, that have been done in the past week. Uh, two, why there aren't any uh, holdouts um, in the NFL for veteran players. And also take a brief look at what was able to get Aaron Rodgers into training camp. We had a new deal announced on Saturday. Uh, Nick Chubb, um, Cleveland Browns running back, signed a three-year, $36.6 million extension, averaging $12.2 million uh, per year. And we also, and it has uh, $20 million in overall guarantees and $17.133 million in full guarantees and this is a deal which uh, I thought would be one of the priorities for the Browns because I have two guys who are in a contract year uh, Chubb and Wyatt Teller um, they're not going to put a franchise tag on Wyatt Teller that number is going to be like 16-6 next year he's not going to warrant it so if uh, actually six, 16 point Six three one million to be precise. Uh, if the cap is two hundred and eight million, that's what I'm projecting it to. Um, he's not going to warrant the franchise tag if he doesn't sign a deal. He'll be unrestricted. Uh, Chubb been one of the most productive backs in the NFL. Uh, third in rushing yards since entering the NFL, three thousand five hundred fifty seven. Uh, it's five point two three yards per carry. First among running backs. Second among all players. Um, Lamar Jackson is number one. $12.2 million per year is about right where I thought this deal would come in. If he was going to be looking to be one of the highest paid running backs in terms of challenging where Chris McCaffrey is, which is a shade over $16 million, uh, that was, his was a marginal increase over Ezekiel Elliott at $15 million per year and and then the deal no longer exists. Todd Gurley was $14.375 million per year. If he was going to be looking at me in that range, he's probably going to be playing a franchise tag next year. But you had multiple guys last year at running back between the middle of July and the beginning of the regular season sign in the 12 to $13 million per year range. First, you had Derrick Henry, uh, Shortly before the uh, July 15th deadline for franchise players to sign, $50 million over four years, um, $12.5 million per year. Uh, Joe Mixon, as we're getting close to the regular season, starting 
12 million per year. Dalvin Cook, right right on the same time, 12.6 million per year. Alan Kamara, on paper, 75 million over five, which would be 15 million per year, but there's 25 million that last year that he's never going to see. 12.5 million is what the realistic number would be. And in this year, in free agency, you had Aaron Jones stay with the Green Bay Packers. On paper, it's $48 million over four years, but there's $20 million in the first two years, and the cap number in the third year is $19.25 million. So that's really $10 million per year. So $12.2 million per year, right range uh, for Nick Chubb to, to get a deal done. The surprising thing is it's uh, three years, because these other ones, the shortest deals are four in terms of new years. Derrick Henry, four new years. Aaron Jones, four new years. Um, so, he signed a three-year extension. The last time someone signed a three-year extension uh, was David Johnson. And in hindsight, looks like David Johnson never should have been given an extension, um, which at the time put him way up there in the running back stratosphere. Uh, it made him the third um, highest paid running back in the NFL. And that was in 2018. His deal was more than Chubb's. So that tells you that you're not getting to that highest tier of the running back market right now. And there's a, that's, I'm calling it the second tier. That McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, tier of their own, other guys in that $12 million per year range. And I'm putting Kamara in that even though on paper it says 15, that's the second tier. So you can get to the second tier. But there are a couple of interesting things here to me with this whole um, how it is relative to David Johnson's deal. Johnson, $39 million over three years. Overall guarantees, I'm talking extension, uh, $39 million uh, over three years on the extension. Overall guarantees, $31,882,500 in overall guarantees. Chubb's overall guarantees, twenty. Big difference structurally. Amount fully guaranteed at signing. David Johnson, $24,682,500. The amount fully guaranteed for David Johnson, more than Chubb's total guarantee. His full guarantee, $17.133 million. He also had upside where he could get to $45 million through incentives, which were, he's never going to hit, but we're going to require him to be more or less the David Johnson of 2016 when he led the NFL in yards from scrimmage. But we haven't seen anything remotely close to that David Johnson. He's subsequently taken a pay cut. <laughs> and Johnson was a little bit older guy when he signed that deal. He was uh, going to be uh, 27 at the end of the year. Slightly older. Chubb's going to be 26 at the end of this year. Um but the theory here is Chubb can get another bite of the apple because he signed a three-year extension, uh, which means that uh, hypothetically that, th- that Chubb in 2023, when he's j- he turns 28 that December, he could get an extension in 2024. I'm not buying that <laughs> because he's a running back, and running back just signs one deal. Maybe he can defy the odds. <laughs> And we'll be in a position to get another deal, either through an extension or if he hit free agency, he would be uh, a 28-year-old free agent turning, uh, I mean a 29-year-old free agent, I should say. Um, but I think this is one deal. 
One thing I look at is cash flow. And if you look at how it is relative to uh, David Johnson, not even close. Um, 37.02% of the new money for Chubb is through the first new year, which would be 2022. For Johnson, he had 48.08% of the new money through the first new year. Um, through year two, the second new year, which would be 2023, Johnson has two-thirds of the money, which makes it a neutral deal because you should have two-thirds of the money at a minimum through the second new year. And by neutral, that means it's neither front-loaded or back-loaded. Johnson, 76.92%. So Johnson's cash flow, much greater, more player-friendly structure. Uh, this structure, cash flow's little underwhelming and the structure is going to allow the team to get out um, pretty quickly if they want to this is a situation where they'll be able to uh, get out heading into the 2020 if they wanted to 2023 because he's got a 12 million dollar signing bonus and it's prorated Assuming there is an avoidable uh, dummy year, which I don't know. I just know it's a $12 million signing bonus. Then you're going to prorate that over four years. You're going to prorate that over uh, four years, and you're going to have $3 million of uh, proration um, each year. So theoretically, you could get out in 2023 with uh, minimal cap pain. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that's what actually happens um, in this instance. Actually, I should say, I take that back. It's going to be $4 million because also a $3 million um, option uh, bonus payment in 2020 after the 2021 season. So, excuse me, you'd be able to get out in 2023 with an $8 million cap charge in terms of proration, um, dead money. And, and also the 2023 uh, salary guarantee of $2.867 million. Um, Vest in 2022, so you're talking 10.867 million of dead money if push came to shove. Uh, if you if you really wanted to to get out versus a 14.85 million dollar cap hit, so and that's if you don't do uh, post June one designation or you don't wait till after June one to cut him. Um, but the Browns have less that left themselves wiggle room to uh, rectify this situation um, with the deal, have, an extra, have exit points, which aren't going to be painful if Nick Chubb starts to uh, hit the wall or starts to become a declining player, which happens quicker than at any other position at, uh, as a running back. But um, I don't expect him to get a third lucrative contract because that doesn't happen to running backs. An interesting case to me is going to be along those lines, Derrick Henry. <laughs> um, he's in year two of his uh, deal. Let's see if after 2022, he's still performing at an extremely high level with the amount of mileage that they've been putting on him each year and see if going into 2023, he gets a new deal. That'll be a litmus test. Now, the next backup who could get paid potentially is Saquon Barkley. Injury plague past two years coming off the torn ACL. Um, that's going to be really dependent on a couple of things. If he can get back to where he was in 2000, 
when he was 2018 as a rookie, when he was the uh, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, um, put up numbers worthy of winning that award if, he, uh, if he'd been a rookie this year. Then he's probably going to be in a position to get a pretty lucrative contract. And the better he plays, he might be the one guy who could threaten Chris McCaffrey is the highest paid running back. Otherwise, there isn't one on the horizon that I can see that would take that away from McCaffrey. And it's going to require Dave Gettleman, the Giants GM, keeping his job and being in a position to hand Saquon Barkley a contract because Dave Gettleman hasn't met a running back contract he didn't like. Don't forget, as a Carolina GM, this is the guy that was paying um, – very good running back money near the top of the market to D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart in a timeshare. So if Saquon Barkley returns to his rookie of the year form and Dave Gettleman still the GM, he's getting paid in a major way. But um, that remains to be seen. Barkley, they, they still have the fifth year option. If a push came to shove on Barkley for 2022 at $7.217 million. But the Browns gotten one major piece out of the way. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now the Colts had two guys on the uh, extension to-do list uh, heading into the offseason. One of them's done now. Braden Smith signed for $70 million over four years, $42 million. Guarantees $26 million fully guaranteed. That's $17.5 million per year. This deal doesn't get done if Ryan Ramsick doesn't drastically uh, change how right tackles are paid. Goes to $19.2 million per year. And then Taylor Moten, right to franchise tag deadline. Um, $85 million over five years, $17 million per year. I'm not calling that a four-year extension because the franchise tag, even though he signed it, was intended as a placeholder. That's the original purpose of the franchise tag, placeholder before a long-term deal. So I'm looking at that as $17 million per year. But if you don't have those two deals done, Braden Smith doesn't get done. Now, the Indianapolis Colts are a team which typically – um, uses a pay-as-you-go model on contracts where the cap and salary cap, the cash and salary cap number are the same each year. So I wanted to see if they were going to do that with this deal, given they also want to sign Darius Leonard uh, to an extension. And they didn't do that. They used they did like Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was another team, big proponent of pay-as-you-go contracts. Tampa Bay this year abandoned that to keep the band together to go try to repeat and start doling out signing bonuses. Uh, Braden Smith has a $15 million signing bonus in his contract. So he kept his base salary the same. So that's a um, $3 million increase to the cap number. That's uh, unusual um, for the Colts. So I expect they're going to do the same thing for Darius Leonard. 
who's probably <laughs> looking to get as close to $20 million as possible if he can get there as a off-ball linebacker, given that Fred Warner just signed recently for $19 million per year. That's going to be his floor. But I now anticipate this deal will have a signing bonus, the Leonard extension, when it's done. Then this leaves the other question. Uh, another young guy they're going to have to take care of on a fifth-year option, who has a fifth-year option next year for $13.754 million is Quentin Nelson. He's arguably the best guard in football. Now, is he going to be the highest-paid offensive lineman on the team? Is he going to be able to surpass that $17.5 million of Braden Smith? Right now, the highest-paid guard, Joe Tooney, $16 million per year. But... Um, if they don't get a deal done this year and they have time, luxury of time because of fifth-year option, that Brandon Scherf from the Washington football team can't be franchised next year. Third franchise tag will be at the quarterback number, two cost prohibitive. He'll be the highest-paid guard. Um, so do they try to come in now, this offseason, and get three guys done or wait? And they're going to have to pay him more than whatever Scherf signs for, um, assuming that they wait through free agency before they get Nelson done, because that will be the benchmark that Nelson tries to beat. Then the question becomes, if Scherf doesn't get to Braden Smith, and it's just not that big of an increase over Tooney, can, can Nelson get past Smith, that's what I'm curious to see. He's a better guard than Smith as a tackle. Now, if you want to look at where guards have ranked in the uh, salary hierarchy past five years, excluding going back five years before this year, for offensive linemen, Colegio Simile, 2016, six highest paid uh, offensive linemen by average yearly salary. Kevin Zeitler, 2017, was eighth. Zach Martin, 2018, was fourth. Brandon Brooks, 2019, was sixth. You had a bunch of tackle deals get done in 2020, so Brooks drops to 14. Um, Joe Tooney's currently tied for Thuney. Tooney's Joe Tooney is currently tied for 11th. So, if you're talking about Getting him to that range right now, Braden Smith is eighth. It's seventeen point five million. Maybe eight. Uh, next above him is eighteen million per year, and that's Colton Miller and and Lane Johnson. So that'd be maybe eighteen million per year, uh, because the average position for the past five years, two thousand sixteen to twenty, is seven point six in terms of where the uh, highest-paid guard ranks in the offensive lineman salary hierarchy. So that'll be one to watch. may not be uh, something we have to deal with until next year. Um, But either way, Quentin Nelson is going to be the highest-paid guard. Just a question of how high he can go in the offensive lineman salary hierarchy. Well, the new uh, CBA has accomplished uh, one of its objectives. Uh, 
there aren't any veteran players who are holding out this year. You had a handful of guys, uh, Jamal Adams, Seahawks safety, Stephon Gilmore, Patriots cornerback, Dolphins cornerback, Xavier Howard, Cardinals edge rusher, Chandler Jones, Packers quarterback, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Houston quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and Philly tight end, Zach Ertz. And I'm going to say Ertz and Watson would have skipped minicamp. But those first ones I mentioned skipped minicamp. And Houston and Philly didn't hold a minicamp, so Ertz and Watson had to make a decision. But they probably would have done the same thing. All these guys showed up to training camp. The reason why is training camp holdouts now, you're going to, they're going to be few and far between. Um, because the CBA, which was ratified last year, makes it subjects the players to a $50,000 per day fine um, for players who are on rookie contracts. And the $50,000 per day is a mandatory fine, which can't be reduced or waived or forgiven. For guys like Adams, who are still on a rookie contract, he's in the fifth-year option, that it's a $40,000 per day fine. And these guys can have the fines reduced or waived if you hold out on a rookie contract. This has always been the CBA. I don't know why there's a distinction. But for someone like Gilmore, there would have been an additional penalty of one week's base salary, one-eighteenth the salary for each preseason game missed for training camp absence because he signed his contract as an unrestricted free agent. I don't know why they make the distinction for unrestricted free agents versus players who signed an extension. Um, And for rookies, if you are a first-round pick playing under the fifth-year option, then you also have this game-check penalty. And the rationale behind that is the signing bonus in the rookie contracts is prorated through four years. So there's no signing bonus in the fifth year for the fifth-year option. You just have your fifth-year option as your salary. So the team doesn't have the right to recover non-existent signing bonus proration. So so if you missed, like, all the training camp, because training camp runs to the Sunday before the first regular season game, you're talking about a $2 million fine if you are a veteran player. So that's not something you're going to see people willing to do. You have to feel very strongly and have a lot of conviction about your situation if you are going to incur $2 million of fines um, to try to get a new contract. Or in, in the case of Watson and Rodgers, they wanted to be traded. Same with Ertz wanted out of town. Um, none of them are getting that this year. Um, I think what you may see is the hold in become a new strategy. We saw that um, be successful with um, Jalen Ramsey two years ago. After a run-in with the uh, or a contentious meeting of members of the Jacksonville uh, front office, he requested a trade during the middle of the season, 2019 season, and proceeded to miss the next three games primarily because of a back ailment. And he forced a trade that way. So I think you may see the hold-in, the mysterious, hard-to-dispute injury during training camp become a new tool that players use. DeAndre Hopkins last year had hamstring tightness periodically um, during the preseason. Um, 
prior to the Cardinals making him highest paid uh, non-quarterback in the NFL by average yearly salary. And this year, one guy who who has an approved hold-in is Stephon Gilmore. He had the partially torn quad late last year that required surgery. He starts the season on PUP this year, which means that he couldn't pass the preseason physical because of a prior because of a football injury from a, pri- a prior football injury from um, last usually from last year, but f- a prior football injury. So him being on PUP gives him an improved hold in. So we'll see when he gets it gets taken off because I have to pass a physical to go on to the 90 man roster. So it may, his uh, quad may have, he may have quad tightness. <laughs> um, Xavier Howard is a guy who said the only reason he, he came in to training camp was he didn't want to be fined $50,000 per day, but then requested a trade because the Dolphins hadn't been willing to adjust his contract. Uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but on Friday, hurts his ankle pretty early. Uh, misses all the practice, is, has returned to practice, but we'll see if there are days he's like, well, my ankles bother me. I don't want to – my ankles bother me, so he's sitting out of practice. I'd keep an eye on that uh, with him in particular since he wants to stay in Miami if they adjust his contract but also wants to be traded because he feels he's being disrespected. But I think you're going to see um, that hold-in become a new strategy. One thing you won't see is people reporting to camp, then leaving. The That's a plane of fire uh, for one reason. You walk out of camp or leave, go AWOL, so to speak, um, the team can send you what's called a five-day letter. If they send you the five-day letter, you have five days to return. It's a warning letter. You have five days to return. If you don't return, by the end of that five-day period, you can be put on the reserve left squad list. Um, they don't have to put you on it, but you can be. And if they put you on the reserve left squad list, then your season's done. You can't play for the rest of the season, and your contract tolls, which means it becomes frozen in time. So if someone did that this year, their 2021 contract year would be repeated in 2022. So that's something I don't think you're going to see, but the holdout is out, and the hold-in appears to be in. And one of the guys that we mentioned was Aaron Rodgers. He was probably going to be the guy most likely to hold out. He's made over $240 million uh, from his playing contracts, plus he's more likely to prove a point by principle than anyone else. Um, But he ended up... uh, getting a couple of concerns dressed, which placated him enough to report to camp. And in that press conference he gave, seems like that he still harbors a lot of ill will towards certain people at the Packers. But he was very candid, which you don't ever see. Uh, he was the exact opposite of Russell Wilson, who's mastered the art of talking and saying nothing. And it wasn't the Aaron Rodgers' usual passive-aggressive tact that he takes. He was very blunt and direct for a change. So um, it was highly unusual. But in order to get him um, into contract and into camp, there are some things that were reported that aren't in the contract that were probably discussed. 
I don't know if there's an actual agreement on these things because something that is agreed to orally is not enforceable. But he doesn't technically have control on where he can play next year. The forfeiture provisions for 22 relating to a signing bonus are still in the contract. They haven't been removed. They did convert 2023 into a voiding year, so essentially the lopping off a year of his contract. Um, makes 22 the last year of his contract, and he can't be designated a franchise or transition player um, under under that. Um, the time frame to me has always been 2022 to trade Aaron Rodgers. Um, because you don't draft Jordan Love in the first round and not play him in 2022 from the standpoint, and I say this because your fifth-year option has to be exercised heading into the fourth year, which would be 2023, and it's now fully guaranteed upon exercise. So if you haven't seen him in the extended game action, regular season action, you're not going to know whether to exercise that option, and you can't get out of it like the Titans did for Dory Jackson this year where it was guaranteed for injury, and then before the first day of the 2024 league year, they couldn't go, you know what, we're going to wash our hands and have no cap implications because it's not guaranteed. Now you exercise it, it's fully guaranteed. So um, we have seen that the Packers are also trying to appease Rodgers because they traded uh, with Houston to get a guy he wanted back, Randall Cobb, at wide receiver. Um, I'm sure Brian Gutekunst really liked that because he let him go in free agency uh, last year, and now Cobb is back wasting cap space uh, to come here for a team which has a very tight cap situation for next year because he's also under contract for next year. And they didn't have a ton of cap room to begin with this year, so they ended up addressing uh, Rogers' contract by converting – um, $14,464,706 into signing bonus, lowering his base salary to $1.1 million. Why it's an odd number for the signing bonus is with what they were doing for this contract by, by adding the voidable provision, Rogers is no longer going to be eligible for 17th game check. So they had to account for the 17th game check that he was going to get in 2021 and 2022 with this deal. So that's an additional $864,706 added in so that he's not going to be in a worse position. And the same thing in 2023, they added in $1,470,588 to count for a 17th game check for 2022. So uh, there's no technical new money in the deal because he was, uh, entitled to the 17th game check under the collective barring agreement. Um, so he's not in a worse position for doing nothing. But what this does is I'm assuming the $500,000 workout bonus is now off the cap. You have to be consistent in how you treat the workout bonus. You can't have it on um, when you're talking about what the cap number is before this restructure versus what it is after the restructure. So assuming it's not around, um, in either case, Packers are going to save just under $8.8 million at cap room this year. Now, if you're trying to trade them next year, doesn't necessarily help your cause from a cap standpoint. Because now, Rodgers 
has an astronomical cap number in 2022. It's $46,144,156. I guess first I should say that Rogers' new cap number in 2021 is just a shade under $28 million. But that basically $46.15 million cap number in 2022 is the second largest cap number in the NFL for next year behind Matt Ryan. Now, because you added in that 17th game check, and the 17th game check used to be a benefit, so there's no cap charge, now there is a cap charge for 17th game checks for each year. So, technically, you're increasing Rodgers' cap number by just under $6.3 million. It was $39.852 million for 2022. That's going to impact the dead money if you trade Rodgers. The cap charge you're going to have left over because of the bonus proration um, if you trade him. Now, I'm assuming any Rodgers trade would happen prior to the draft and you wouldn't wait till after June 1 because you would want 2022 draft picks for him. So, the dead money was $17.204 million in a trade of this manner where you're going to save $22.648 million. Now, the dead money is a shade under 26.85 million where you're going to save just about 19.3. So, um, between this maneuver, signing Dennis Kelly as a offensive lineman, swing tackle, um, if David Bakhtiari is not ready, maybe he steps in and plays left, left tackle until he is because of Bakhtiari's torn ACL. And the Randall Cobb acquisition. Green Bay adds to their league high 2022 cap commitment. So Green Bay is just a shade under $260 million in cap commitments next year, which basically is going to put them, if the cap is the ceiling, salary cap ceiling of $208.2 million, $50.8 million over the cap. So from, it's going to be hard to keep Aaron Rodgers from a cap standpoint because of Green Bay's cap situation. And this doesn't even get into the DeAndre Hopkins and the Packers aren't on the same page. And a franchise tag for him would be $20.12 million, the way the 120% his salary increase provisions work, so that would just add to the uh, cap headache. So getting rid of Rodgers would basically cover Adam's franchise tag, but Green Bay's going to have a lot of work to do in 2022 in order to be cap compliant. I've always thought Rodgers would be out the door in 2022, um, I think the only way he stays is they win the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, he may he may not even want to stay. Um, they may they threw him a bone in Randall Cobb, but he said one thing that was really surprising in that um, press conference that they don't get his opinion about some personnel decisions. Other teams do with quarterbacks, and particularly I think you'd want his input with the receivers in terms of who he sees that 
runs great routes, what they do, their hands, are they in the right spot, and so forth. Because if a quarterback doesn't trust the receiver or he can't depend on him to be in the right spot, he's not going to throw to him, and that's going to make the offense less effective. So I think you'd want to solicit his opinion, at least on wide receivers. (laughs) You don't have to follow his suggestion, but at least make him feel like he's been heard. So we'll see if they do that. If they continue par for the course, and Rodgers didn't seem all that optimistic things were going to change, then he's going to want to be out the door. But there is nothing in the contract which forces Green Bay to trade him and specifically trade him to a certain team, team of his liking, which everyone thinks will be the Denver Broncos. Um, So all we've done is punt on the Aaron Rodgers saga until next offseason. Then it'll come up periodically through the year. But really, uh, it will move to the forefront again once the Super Bowl is over. Or maybe uh, they work out a trade, have it done before the playoffs end or near the end of the playoffs like we've seen uh, with Alex Smith from Kansas City to Washington and then this year the Jarrett Goff, um, uh, Matthew Stafford trade. But now Aaron Rodgers, Packers can focus on football. This is going to be the elephant in the room. Now they can turn their attention to trying to uh, work something out with um, Devontae Adams. But this ain't the last we're going to see of this Aaron Rodgers saga. Um, but no holdouts from veteran players this year. Too expensive. Be su- I'll be surprised if we see some in the future as well. But anyway, um, that is going to wrap up this week's Inside the Cap. I uh, want to thank you guys for listening. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter. That is Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y. J-O-E-L, and also read my cbssports.com column and Agent Stake. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, and we'll see you back here next time.